Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Kirby, uh, I can't complain. Uh, well, I can complain and I will shortly. Um, <laughs> things are good. Looking forward to attending the race uh, uh, with you as and many others uh, this coming weekend. And uh, so there's a lot to look forward to. Well, that's for sure. Let's uh, get some housekeeping out of the way, if you don't mind. Um, sponsors, South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast and the owner, Saul, will give you a generous discount. I'm also going to announce that we intend to do a Indy 500 kind of picks slash preview show before the race. Uh, what were you thinking? Friday, Curb? Thursday, Friday? Uh, hope to record Friday, late Friday, probably. With plenty of time so you can take our picks and uh, put your bets down uh, where you need to put them. Curb, will you indulge me and allow me to uh, rant to start off the show? I think our fans would be disappointed if I didn't. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase it. Our listeners, I'm going to go so far as to call them fans. Yeah, I, that's a great point, Curb. I think we have listeners, people who right. want to be educated, not fans. There you go. So, Curb, here's my rant. On this uh, weekend, this last weekend, we had a, an interesting uh, dynamic going on, in which case we had IndyCar qualifying. Uh, we had the premier F1 race taking place in uh, Monaco and a NASCAR show at uh, Coda in Texas. Uh, which was to be kind of their, uh, you know, a road course uh, exhibition for them. Now, I took the time to watch the both the qualifying and the race of Monaco. I took the time to watch the qualifying uh, both days of IndyCar for the Indy 500. And... I won't say I took the time to watch the NASCAR race, but have seen enough reports on it to get the idea that um, it was not a great show and that they were trying to race cars in a torrential downpour, which just did not work for them on many, many levels. Okay. So when I sum up my experiences, and I'm going to start with Monaco. So the way I watched the Monaco race was I watched the first lap or so, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit. And then they have this kind of constant readout on the left side of the screen, you know, of, of the driver in its place. Right. Right. And you can go to speed four on that. And the, and, the, and it never changes. Every driver stays first and second and third and fourth. And they never go back and forth, never go up and down. And I wait for that to change to go up and down before I take it out of fast forward, and then I put it on play at regular speed to see what's happened. And it's amazing how many laps you go through without even having to do that. So in other words, nothing is going on in that race, particularly Monaco. It is static from the start to almost the finish. And the only thing that made it otherwise uh, was a uh, – Leclerc, who couldn't start the race, even though he got pole, and I'll get to that in a second, and uh, Botas, who 
they machined a, a wheel nut off that they, you know, that they couldn't repair. And so he had to drop out of the race and he was running in second at the time. But otherwise, it was the parade of all parades. And this is the pr- their premier race, mind you. Right. This is Monaco. Right. Speak in right. hushed tones. OK. Sure. And then uh, I'll go over to NASCAR a little bit. Then you've got this situation where, you know, they're trying to make this big splash in Texas at Coda. As you and I would both agree, they stole the IndyCar race. Right. Right. And they there's a downpour. There's standing water. The cars can't those cars just can't run in the rain uh, from what I gather on road courses, you know, on any course for that matter. Uh, And yet uh, the NASCAR. uh aristocracy continue with a farce of a race for as long as they could till I think they just kind of said, uh, you know, we're going to kill somebody out here. Maybe we should stop. Right. Then you take the two days that I spent watching, you know, mo- the mass vast majority of the IndyCar qualifying. And I know curb, you were there in person, what both days, one day, just Saturday, just, just Saturday. Saturday. Okay. So you watched, you watched Sunday on TV, you watched Saturday, uh, at, uh, in person. And I, I found myself so intrigued by the process. I thought it was exciting. It was, you know, there was drama there. It was, it was, it was just, you know, it was fascinating television. And, and obviously, you know, you and I are probably more engaged than most. But I think the, even the casual observer could get a little wrapped up in the drama of it all, right? And the speed. And and it was really a good show. And I got so frustrated because. Formula One's kicking our ass because they they do this manufactured drama on Drive to Survive, right? Right. NASCAR's kicking our ass because Tony George made a bad deal in 1996 that we've never recovered from. Right. And and IndyCar flops around like a a, a half dead fish on a on a cutting board and can't and just it just can't seem to take what is a an awesome product. And somehow convey this to the populace at large. They just fail and they fail and they fail. While these other guys with a much far inferior product succeed. And it's so frustrating to me. And and damn them, damn them for not doing a better job. And and somebody's got to say it. They got to get. I don't know who they got in charge of, like, trying to get this thing off the ground, but get rid of some of those Midwest bozos and get somebody that's a little bit inventive and creative and make something happen. You're preaching to the choir. Um, and I think not only not only to your co-host, but anybody that listens to us has got to be dedicated, and, uh, and I bet they all share your frustration. I'm at a loss. Uh, obviously, Penske's been consumed with – higher priorities for the last year and a half. You know, I'm not saying Roger Penske's got to f- generate all the ideas, but hopefully he can use that money and his access to people, good people, identify a couple of those people that can uh, Mark Miles lucked into Jay Fry, I think. And Jay Fry has obviously helped them on the competition side to immensely. And they need to find somebody his equal on the PR side, the production side, the, they got to find somebody JFRI is equal. And if they can do that, they might have a chance. Yeah, I think they always go back, well, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. Hey, I'm not even talking about money here. I'm just talking about doing a little thinking outside the box. Yeah, you're going to have to use some money to fuel it. But, I mean, 
uh, you know, just something a little bit more than what we're getting. People qualified to do what you're saying might have been hesitant to buy into committing to the prior ownership. Would you agree? Yes. And so now with the Roger Penske owning the series, I would think that concern would be alleviated. And yes, he might have to pay top dollar to attract the right person, but that's a pittance in the overall scheme of things. When you say it doesn't really mean money. And uh, I, you know, I can't argue with that, but it does mean, it does mean confidence that you have a future if you can succeed. Well, I was going to say, if you stick me a room with a potted plant and a nice view of something and say you got eight hours for the next five days, eight hours to think about creative ideas to kind of help IndyCar out of this morass. If I don't have 100 good ideas by the end of the week, fire me. Right. It's so frustrating. And, and you know, it comes from, a you know, we, we, we both care and it all comes from a place of care. But I you know what, Curb, I'm going to say it again. I blame Indiana. That insular, that insular thinking. Let me back it up. Let me <laughs> let me further refine that. Can we just blame Terre Haute, Indiana? What what what? Where's where are you going with that uh, tangent? I mean, that's where the Holman family is based, and a okay. lot of the a lot of the people. Jeff Belskis was from Terre Haute. The guy that was the voice of the 500 through the IRL period was from Terre Haute, and definitely kept to their comfort zone. Kerb, have I ever been to Terre Haute? I, I can't answer that question. You might have driven through it on your way to somewhere. You, you would more think you'd almost have to growing up in Indiana. At some point, you've gone through Terre Haute. If you want to get to Evansville or St. Louis, you got to you had to go through Terre Haute back then. But uh, look, at the end of the day, you're right. Okay, granted, Terre Haute, but Indiana and their insular thinking in general. And I'm going to just throw Chittard High School in for to boot. Chittard High School has nothing to do with it. Thank you very much. They create insular thinking people who go on to do things at IndyCar. I don't know of anybody from Chittard High School that's involved in IndyCar at any significant level. <laughs> they're there. They're working. They're working in the background. I do. I do know a cathedral person working in the background. So let's just blame cathedral. Well, okay. I'll go for that too. I'll throw them okay. in there. All right. Ugh. All right. Uh, let's get serious for a moment, Curb. Although I was pretty serious about that rant. <laughs> right. Andre Ribeiro. R.I.P. A shame at any age, but what was he, 56, 54, something like that? So, really. Yeah, spe- especially when he's your age, it yeah. means more. <laughs> right. But uh, even a greater shame, uh, you know, not probably a well-known name outside of IndyCar, uh, you know, devotees, but um, but really pretty good driver in his time. So yeah, and, uh, and Ray, and look, he won he won quite a few races. First uh, first win for Honda in IndyCar. Yeah, he he won quite a few races, and and you know Penske hired him to drive for him. Right. I mean that's that's about you know that's uh, that's a pretty good ringing re- recommendation. I don't think he did much for Penske while he was there, but you know it was definitely kind of a ringing recommendation for him. A well-thought-of guy when he was involved in IndyCar and um, one of those names from the past that you, you kind of wonder what happened to him. And uh, Yeah, actually, he set up some dealerships with uh, 
Mr. Penske uh, uh, down in Brazil, right? Yeah, so, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that uh, that says a lot of what uh, Roger Penske thought of him, not only as a driver, but as a businessman. I mean, that's that's pretty unusual stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't, I don't think Helio has any uh, dealerships, does he? Uh, not that I've heard of, but, you know, Rick Mears and Andre Ribeiro, those are the two I know of. So. Do you think uh, Will Power's going to get a dealership curb? Crazy Town Motors. <laughs> I don't think you want him running a business for you. <laughs> Speaking of um, Mr. Power, uh, let's let's move on to qualifying curb. All right, let's. Now I have a few comments uh, that I kind of want to make about qualifying, uh, but I'd certainly like to hear yours first. Oh, you lead on. I'll uh, I'll catch up. Why don't we start with the rules? Okay. If you don't mind. Now, I, I don't curb. Please, let's not get into. And I, there's going to be enough talk, I think, by others about, you know, how the rules need some tweaking, particularly what happened on Saturday afternoon. You know, where you have kind of Dalton Kellett going out there and and running for no other reason than to rate, waste time, right? Um, right. Because because they had determined it that if you were 31 or below, that your time, no matter how good it was had no relevance and that's kind of a weird uh quirky rule uh as it turns out and it kind of led to a bad result but i guess my question for you is curb and i i I racked my brain about it for at least 15 seconds uh, and couldn't come up with an answer what were they thinking when they made that rule what were they trying to prevent from happening well I, i can only speculate that um they didn't want what people thought happened there to happen, right? I think they didn't want people that did not make it into the top 30 at the time that they finished their qualifying run back into the top 30 by somebody else pulling a time. And they probably wanted to encourage people to pull their times and run just to improve the show. Okay. That's an interesting uh, viewpoint, but it actually kind of turned out very poorly because he didn't pull his time. Kellett didn't, in essence, pull his time. He just went out and ran and wasted everybody else's time. No, I think he went in the priority lane. I think he did pull his time. There was a okay. remember remember they showed that big Sorry, he did pull lane. his time. Okay. Yeah, here we're going down the rabbit hole that I asked not to go down. But he did pull his time, but his time was slower than powers, but he's still in the show and power wasn't. His new time. His new time. Correct. Yeah. But Power didn't have a time, so he was safe. And whether uh, Larry Foyt is a mad genius or whether Larry Foyt got lucky, I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to take the former curb. I think that was a well-thought-out strategy on Foyt's part. Uh, you got to give him credit there. He should have figured out a way to use up 12 more seconds or 8 more seconds. Well, <laughs> well and, and, and the reason I said what I just said is because uh, Kellett got out of the car and mentioned in his post-interview you know, that – yeah, they they thought they had it timed right, but it was 16 seconds off. Okay, so they they clearly knew what they were doing. Kellogg got out of his car. He thought he was out of the show too. So he didn't he didn't have the full plan. If he I'm not if he, I, I don't think any of the drivers uh, really could under comprehend the whole minutia of, of qualifying, uh, including Mr. Power, who can seem to figure out what state he was in, much less you know whether you know how it all worked. My guess is that will be tweaked for next year. Um, uh, any more rules? Well, 
I'm going to do something you hate, um, which is talk about Formula One. Can I go back to a qualifying rule I'd like to see changed? No, uh, okay. not to, not until I talk about my Formula One rule. Okay, fair. Um, then you can <laughs> then then you may speak. Um, right. It was interesting to me, uh, and maybe this should have been part of my rant that I don't know if you noticed. Uh, so in the, during the Monaco uh, Grand Prix, Leclerc had the best time, right? Right. And he was running around the track and he ended up clipping a, a corner and wrecking and causing a red flag when two other guys were on hot laps that appeared to be faster than Leclerc's pole time. And yet he caused a red flag and he still retained pole. Would not happen in IndyCar. And and so there there you have to go to IndyCar and say, hey, uh, pretty good rule. Um, because that's a class. Leclerc clearly didn't do it on purpose. I mean, he hit the thing way too hard for that. Right. But he could have. He could have just brushed a wall, kind of spun out in the middle of the road, and prevented everybody else from qualifying and uh, would have still had the pole. We can probably all think of uh, past Formula One drivers who might have done that. Maybe every maybe everybody but Kimi. Oh, you know the uh, the sainted Ayrton Senna, perhaps, or he uh, definitely would have done that. Or the guy who was his nemesis, I forget the guy's name. Prost was it Prost? Uh, oh, he would have definitely done it too. Right. So, um, but in case anybody doesn't know, in IndyCar, if you have if you bring out a red flag, you lose your two fastest laps. Yeah. So, and so Leclerc, Leclerc, presumably would have fallen back in the field if he'd had his two fastest laps pulled. A curb, uh, not that anybody cares about qualifying rules, but what did you have to say about IndyCar uh, qualifying rules? Park Fermi, Park Firm, Park Fermi, whatever you say it. Uh, Park Fermi. Park Fermi, uh, during the last row shootout, where um, we've left 45 minutes or more of of, uh, free time for you to try again, but you're not allowed to touch your car. (laughs) I mean, if you want to, if you want to promote uh, the uh, old-fashioned scramble to try to make it into the field, last row shootout, bumping, whatever you want to call it, uh, to say, well, you can qualify, you can change your tires, but other than that, you can't really make any changes to your car. Counterproductive to me. Yeah, I agreed, and it, you already got the heat, whole heat sink issue going, you know, where you where you're going to be disadvantaged anyway. So that does seem a bit stupid. I agree with you. I want to talk about a few other things uh, about qualifying. Is it Steve Letarte? Yeah, yeah, Steve Letarte. Uh, pretty good. I thought I mean, so he had, too. He had some really interesting things to say, you know, about strategy and team strategy, and him and Jimmy Johnson, I think, were were actually, you know, and but him in particular, really good. Yeah, I I was impressed too. Um, you know, my wife complained about the heavy. NASCAR influence on the IndyCar broadcast, but um, yeah, kudos to Steve Letarte, kudos to NAS, uh, NBC for, for making him a part of the show. I am. Um, I'm sure this was just me and not you. As Scott Dixon was making his qualifying run, almost reminiscent of uh, when uh, you know the the classic 1982 Gordy John Cock versus uh, Rick Mears. Yeah final laps when they kept showing Rick Mears's wife right, um, sure. instead of what was going on in the track. Um, they had something similar going on with Emma Dixon. You may not have noticed, but no. yeah, 
And so she was getting an awful lot of airtime, and she was wearing kind of a green dress that was really highly slid up, right? And um, and she was jumping up and down. And really? yeah, I, and I would think not me or you because you know we're married men and old, but I would think to like maybe a, a, another observer, they would be praying for a wardrobe malfunction to transpire as she uh, jumped up and down and leaped for joy. In addition, she seemed to be hugging a, a, another rather attractive woman who turns out to be uh, uh, Dario Franchitti's wife. And uh, I must say it, it was like where I was really pestered by them going to Rick Mears' wife uh, during the Gordy Johncock thing. I wasn't so upset this time around. Well, I don't know what color dress Mrs. Dixon was wearing, but um, uh, at least this time they had the decency to do the split screen so you could still follow the car on the track if you so preferred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're a red-blooded American man and watching the cars, shame on you. Well, well, we all wish they'd have been showing the cars back in 1982, don't we? <laughs> I don't know. Whew. That's all I can say is whew. Um, do, you want, do you want me to tell you what you missed on the driver's side of the screen? Not really. But you apparently were watching. I think Dixit got pulled. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Other thing I found interesting about qualifying, and by the way, in all seriousness, a great show both days, I thought. Yeah. Um, the, the new format is really, really working. I, I guess we can talk about it now, Curb. I mean, if you were driving a Chevy, you were pretty much invisible unless you were on Ed Carpenter's team. Well, certainly uh, on Fast Friday and uh, qualifying weekend, there seemed to be relative parity between the manufacturers Tuesday through Thursday. And I don't know if that was just a a fiction that um, we all wanted to believe or not. But, uh, you know, just like last year, they're proclaiming that Sam and Pagino's got the best race car out there. But just like last year, he's starting in the late 20s. And last year, he never showed up during the race. So we'll have to see if uh, there really is anything different this year. Well, I think the classic thing they're saying about the Chevy cars is, oh, we got a good race car. But the, I think the reality is that if you're not in the first three rows – you know, you're going to spend the first quarter of your race plus in kind of the quagmire, right? Right. And that's a huge disadvantage. I mean, I, I you know, you're going to be a half to three quarters of a lap back um, at some point because you're just getting in the in the arrow wash. I think even if you have a good race car, it's still, I mean, the guys in front of you have a gigantic advantage. Well, I remember last year, um, one of the comments from Sato was that he had the good fortune of being in the top five the whole race and therefore gave him opportunities to, you know, experiment during each stint, figure out how best to use his tires and those kind of things. And uh, Power, when they interviewed him following his qualifying attempt on Sunday, uh, somewhere along the way I saw where they interviewed him about how they were going to set up for practice later on the day for the race. He said, well, we're going to have to go to a, a heavier downforce setup because we're going to be way back in traffic and have to going to have to deal with all that. I, I, maybe Honda's doing a, a smart thing here, Curb, figuring out maybe they're skewing their cars towards qualifying at Indy so they can get them up front to start and just hoping they can hang on. And, and that may be the game they're playing. And, and, you know, last year was success and maybe this year as well. We'll see. 
Um, well, we'll uh, again to just to remind people, we'll have a preview show uh, uh, later this week. You predicted a low Penske uh, count in the uh, top nine. I think you said on the one and a half, you said under. You were correct. Um, and you also pointed out that you thought Elio was going to be a factor, and you were also correct there. Well, thank you for that uh, recognition. Um, Moving on. Curb, I'd like to end the show. Is that it? It's ended? You're ending <laughs> yeah. it? Curb, I would like to end the show. And, um, but I'd also like to end the show with uh, Sage Karam. Uh, there's a quote attributed to him that, uh, again, raised my eyebrow significantly. He was he's referring to the fact that, you know, at uh, one point he was out at Dryer and Reinbold, like, you know, Wicks wasn't coming back to sponsor the car. Dennis Reinbold had to call him and say, hey, look, dude, sorry, you know, we're going to have to hire a ride buyer because, you know, Wicks, is, Wicks hasn't come up with the dough. And then. I, I, then I saw this quote attributed to him, and I, I couldn't believe it. I really okay. So here's the quote: I really felt alone and just like, what am I going to do now? He continued. I never thought of life without racing. I was actually applying for job interviews. He was actually applying for job interviews, Curb, like a normal life, trying to do stuff in sports, maybe working with athletes in some capacity. I even thought that. Maybe even just learning how to freaking change an IndyCar tire. Who knows? I've got a fiancé. I've got a house. I've got dogs. I've got to provide. Racing in the 500 is how I live. Bring home, bring the dough home. And that's when I came to the realization that I might not be doing it. It was a big wake-up call. Well, on the surface, that sounds... Um, Crazy? Strange. Um, <laughs> that... He could fund a lifestyle uh, by racing in the Indy 500 every year. Um, for, for DRR. For a one-off team that uh, presumably doesn't have a lot of money left over after it's paid for its tires and engines and crew and so on. What do you do in the rest of the year? Let's say let's say he does get a couple hundred grand to drive the 500, okay? It's got to be generous, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. What does he do in the rest of the year? Well, I mean, so I, I you know, after I thought about it a little longer, I mean, I, if I remember right, I've heard that. I've heard that he models. I've heard that he um, uh, is a. He certainly like, sounds like, an, like a certainly sounds like a model in right, his could quote. Have, could have been right in there with uh, whatever that Ben Ben. You know what movie I'm talking about? Uh, but, yeah, um, talking about. Um, you know, I think he does. I thought I'd seen somewhere that he did like Instagram influencing, social media influencing, whatever. And um, and I, I do think he does pretty well in the. Uh, Esports, uh, racing, i racing, and that kind of thing. I would imagine all those things are due to the fact that he's an IndyCar driver, an <laughs> Indy 500 driver. Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm going to guess what he means is, without IndyCar, I don't have a, you know, a marketable identity anymore, and uh, I'm screwed. Wow, uh, you're being you know, very generous. <laughs> you know what, what? What? What is puzzling to me is that he apparently doesn't have any other. Uh, driving opportunities. Plan anywhere. for life. And no, no plan B. Uh, <laughs> no plan B. Yeah, I don't know worry about that, but I'm just saying <laughs> I find it a little surprising. There's so much there to to unpack in just those couple of paragraphs of quotes. Um, 
it is very Zoolander like. Uh, there, there you go. <laughs> it is quite the you know. I've got a fiance. I've got a house. I've got dogs. You know, <laughs> it's it's straight out of Zoolander. <laughs> okay, well that's a good way to end it, Curb. Did you but, see that? Did you see that uh, Takuma Sato's sponsor is actually activating and uh, put him in a commercial on TV? Oh my God! What did that it's, look like? It's, it's not bad at all. It really isn't. I can't believe that. <laughs> I mean, does he speak much? He does. He does a good job, and he, oh it's, my God. his his sponsor is like a. You know, an online hiring site or whatever, just like mm-hmm. ZipRecruiter or something. Yeah. And then, you know, their their stick is that we're gonna find you a job fast and delivers that job seeker right to his job in no time flat. Is so, Emma Dixon know, in it? There's no there's no Emma Dixon, no Mrs. Rankiti. All right. Well, hopefully they use that service to find somebody to promote the sport. There you go. On that note, good night, everybody. Take care.